0: Good morning again. I want to thank Stephen for teaching us last week while I was gone. Uh, he got us started in Galatians 5, and we will continue in Galatians 5 this week. Our series is centered, and what we've been trying to understand here is how Paul says that the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, is the center of our life. It is the compass point. It's what directs us, makes sense of life when everything else is crazy. Um, and so this week, we're looking at it from the angle of freedom, uh, we are centered in freedom, freedom-centered. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. So Paul has started this concept of freedom uh, already, and there's been a long trail he's led us through the last couple of chapters of contrasting slavery versus freedom. And what he's told us is that we think that we have freedom by indulging our flesh, but that's actually a form of slavery. It's a slavery and addiction. He, he's also contrasted that with religious legalism and said, really, religious legalism is just another form of slavery, right? So if, if we believe that we can impress God enough to win Him over by our law-keeping, that that's just another form of slavery to our flesh. That, that only Jesus can impress God. Only Jesus can win God over for us. And that's what He's done for us by dying on the cross to take our sins upon Himself, and also by faith to give us His righteousness so that we are uh, united with Him. So let's read together Galatians 5. We're going to mean verses 13, 14, and 15. i you to take a quick drink of water. Ah, okay. So verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let me pray for us. God, we we thank you for this text. It's short, um, but it's powerful and it's challenging, and we pray that you would teach us. God, we ask for your help, for your spirit to meet us here, to overcome whatever obstacles are in the way of of us hearing from you today. We pray for the physical obstacles of sickness or of tiredness. We pray also for our hearts uh, that maybe don't want to listen to you, and we ask that you'd give us an openness to hear who you are and what you have to say to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, several years ago, actually more than several years ago, I was in high school, um, and I had a friend, my best friend actually, uh, who was just an incredible athlete. I don't know if you were like me and God gave you the grace of humility by, by pairing you with someone as a close friend that just did better than you at everything. Anybody have a friend like that? Um, that was this kind of friend. He was just an incredible athlete. He was also great in school. You know, every time I made an A-, he made an A-, plus. that kind of uh, friend. Um, and he was, he was a lot of fun to watch. Just an incredible athlete, really, really fast. Um, he was only about 5'8", but he had like a, a 700-inch vertical leap. I mean, just very springy, powerful legs, very quick. Um, and so one time we were, we were at a track meet, and I was kind of like a backup runner, so I don't think I was running that day or something. I'm watching him run, and it's just a beautiful thing to watch. He's running the 100-meter dash this day. I don't know if we were sophomores or juniors or what year it was, but he was so fast. Um, and so the 100-meter dash is just the straightaway, right? It's just the length of the football field, basically. And just coming out of the blocks, he was ahead of everybody. He just had this incredible power and he's moving so fast and his form looked so perfect as he was running and then all of a sudden it looked like someone shot him just this leg jerked and his whole body kind of flopped and he almost hit the ground he kind of stumbled off the track and wasn't able to finish the race Um, I don't know the the technical definition of what happened but he had at, at some level torn or pulled a muscle in his hamstring right it just was like boom and it just jerked his whole body And so he then had to embark on a healing process, right? I don't know everything that he did physical therapy wise, but he eventually got better and he was eventually then free to run again. And what I want you to understand when we look at the New Testament and it says that we have freedom in Christ, I want us to understand that that freedom is for something. That freedom is so that we can run. That freedom is so that we can live the life that God has made us to live. So often as Americans, we're, we're diverted by cultural noise, and in our culture, we tend to think of freedom as so I can do whatever the heck I want and you can't tell me what to do, right? We tend to think of freedom in those kinds of terms. We think of freedom as an opportunity to indulge our flesh, to embark in a suicidal love affair with ourself, and just do what feels good to follow our desires. What the New Testament says repeatedly is Christ has set us free from sin so we can run. Christ has set us free from sin so we don't have to be standing on the sideline with crutches so that we can play the game. I know for some of you, you're not relating. You're like, run, why would I ever want to run? Sorry, that maybe the metaphor is difficult. Uh, maybe you have a job that you love, right? And, and the machine or, or the equipment you use is broken. You want that stuff fixed so you can do your job. Maybe you're an artist or a musician. You want that instrument to work so that you can perform. So f- for, for whatever it is that connects, the purpose of freedom, the purpose of healing, the purpose of the reconciliation that we're given in Christ is so that we can run in the path of his commands. We can live life the way life is supposed to be lived. So I want us to get that, and Paul wants us to get that from this text, He's, in the previous section, been trying to clarify that we don't want to fall back into legalism and that truth is very important and it becomes a boundary for us and we don't also want to swing into what is sometimes called license, indulgence, just doing whatever we care, or do whatever we want and thinking God doesn't care what we do. Sometimes the love of God and the grace of God is defined as God doesn't care anymore. That's not really what grace means. Grace means he cares so much He paid the price for you. That's what grace is. It's unmerited. It's a gift. It's free, but it's so you can run. It's so you can live. It's so you can participate in life. So God wants us in the game. The first thing that we see with this freedom is that it is freedom from our flesh. Now, flesh isn't always bad in the Bible, right? God made us to have flesh. He made us to operate in the material world. So we don't mean this in a Greek philosophy sense of Spirit's always good and flesh is always bad, but in the sense of as human beings, we tend to rely on our flesh and indulge our flesh in a selfish way. So if we look again at verse 13, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. An illustration I read years ago in a book was the idea of uh, someone who's a restaurant owner and he finds a bum eating out of the trash in the back alley. And he brings this guy inside and says, I want, by my grace, to give you this buffet, and you can enjoy this great food. And it would be ridiculous then if that person said, no, I'm, I'm more comfortable with the trash. I'd rather eat outside. I have a, found a picture here of a buffet. Um, I tried to find a healthy buffet, right? There's fruit and cheese. I'm trying to lead you in a positive direction here. But we often find ourselves in that position, right? When, when there's something bad that's basically killing us, you know, we're just stuck, we keep going back to it, and we're offered something better. That, that, that's not what freedom is for. The freedom is not so we can go back to doing the stupid stuff that's killing us. The freedom is so that we can live life the way it's supposed to be lived. Um, if, if you continue to struggle with indulging your flesh... I would argue that there's a good chance that you don't understand the freedom that Christ has given you. Christ really has given you freedom. Christ really did die on the cross for our sins. Christ really did rise from the dead. And he did all that not so we could just do whatever we want and live life willy-nilly, but so that we could live life fully. And again and again, we're told that living life fully is walking in the way that God has told us to walk. So Peter would say it this way. Um, If you look at 2 Peter, 2 Peter is a famous passage where it talks about all these great characteristics. Same kind of things that Paul will talk about later. He talks about it as the fruit of the Spirit. Peter talks about uh, we want to live our life with knowledge and virtue and faith and steadfastness and godliness and affection and love. These are all great qualities we want to live our life by. And if those things aren't happening in our life, he he would say that this is the reason why. In 2 Peter 1, Nine, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So Peter's being pretty nice there, really. Peter's saying you're drifting, you're forgetting, you're becoming nearsighted, you're losing your vision of how awesome Jesus is, right? We sang the song, Jesus is better, and you're starting to think, no, indulgence is better. No, this pet habit is better. No, following my desires is is better. No, following what makes me feel good in the moment is better. And so you would argue with the song. So Peter there is being very gracious. Peter's saying, maybe you're just forgetting. Maybe you're just forgetting how awesome Jesus really is. I would say another way to look at it is maybe you've never met him. Maybe you've never realized how awesome Jesus is. There's two parts to understanding how awesome Jesus is. One is that our sin and that really can best be defined as living life our way, right? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve said, no, we'd rather not obey God. We'd rather do life on our own. We'd rather have the blessings apart from a relationship with the Creator. And so that's sin, and that enslaves us, as Paul has been telling us so far. And so the idea is that maybe we've never really met Jesus. Maybe we've never really met Jesus, understanding that we're wandering off the path, we're going opposite of God, and God comes into our life and says, here's Jesus. He paid the price for you. He lived life the way it was supposed to be lived. He took your place. He's your substitute. Trust him. He's good. He, he loves you. One of the ways that we understand it, as we'll look at later today in, in the text, is that uh, if you really see that God is awesome and good and beautiful, you're going to want to do what he says. It's going to change your heart towards his commands. So the idea is either we're starting to drift from recognizing that Jesus is better or we never recognized it in the first place if we are living in a pattern of indulging our flesh. So my question for you would be, uh, what areas do you struggle with indulging the flesh? This has been helpful to me as I think through, what are those areas that I run to, right? What are those habits of flesh that I go to to be my savior, to comfort me in times of difficulty. So we've talked about this whole series as being centered, centered on Jesus and what he's provided for us, uh, seeing him as our true grace and true savior. But often in our daily lives, we're really centered on other things, right? We're really running to other saviors. So uh, here's a couple of ideas. Maybe for you, it's comfort. Maybe for you, you, you run to comfort. And so when life is difficult, you run to comfort and you indulge your flesh in that area thinking, that that will save you rather than Jesus. That comfort is better than Jesus. Maybe for you, it's control. Maybe you, you see life getting out of control and if you just work harder and run faster, you can, you can crank down, you can tighten things up, you can make it work. And so maybe for you, control is better than Jesus. Maybe for you, it's attention. Maybe just the attention of that particular person or a string of Persons or the respect you might get at work. Maybe that kind of attention is better to you than Jesus. I, I challenge you to pray and say, God, help me to understand, what, what are things that I'm running to instead of you? What are the saviors that I'm looking to instead of you? What are those areas where I'm indulging the flesh, where I think freedom is about me instead of freedom is about following you? What are those areas, Lord? And then help me to peel back, why do I think those things are better than you? Why? Why? Why do I think those things can save me and you can't? And I think that would be a really helpful way for us to grow in this area so that we will be free from our flesh. Not to indulge it anymore, but to do what he says here in this next section and to be free for others. Freedom is for others. It's for loving others. It's for serving others. Jesus summed up the whole law. Love God, love others. So look at the last part of verse 13. Verse 13 says right at the end, he says, but instead of indulging the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. Are you free in that way? And I'm asking myself that question too. Am I really free to love people or am I stuck on me? We want to be free to serve others, to love others. He says, uh, through love, serve one another. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul gives us the positive side of it and the negative side of it, right? He says this is what it's supposed to look like. As followers of Christ, we're supposed to love one another. And the, the dark side of that, the flip side of that is we're biting and devouring one another. Now he doesn't mean cannibalism. He doesn't mean you're literally like chewing on each other, right? He means metaphorically you're judging each other, you're tearing each other down, you're beating up on each other, you're hating on each other. He says that if this is happening in your community, you, you haven't really been set free. If you're not really loving one another, then you're not really set free. So that's the question to ask. I think of a, a really helpful way to think about this is if we're free to love others is how do you see yourself, right? Do you see yourself as a sent one that's been sent into every environment to bring grace to serve and to love others, or do you see yourself as an orphan that's just scrapping for survival, right? I mean, socially, when you walk in the room, are you completely consumed with, what are they going to think about me? They're not going to like me. Are they going to accept me? Or are you like, you know what? That's settled. God, God loves me. I'm sent here to love other people. I'm secure. Think about it. what, it, what it's like as a, as a young parent. I know for a lot of you young parents, I can kind of remember what that was like. My kids are getting older now. Um, I I do remember it being hard, right? Any of you young parents here? Some of you, a few of you, you're afraid to admit it. It's okay. Um, I I can remember it being very, very tiring, very tiring. And, And sometimes feeling like there was just never enough. You just couldn't ever do enough. You just couldn't ever finish the race. If you're feeling that way right now, think about being on the other side of it. Imagine, just use your imagination, Think about that future where you're done, where you've, where you've finished, where you're sleeping all night long, you're resting, the kids are grown, they're happy, healthy, well-adjusted, or at least they're seeing a good counselor now. You know, just, um, just think about that, that future world. H- how do you walk into every situation? Do you walk into every situation short and in need and insecure, or do you walk into situations of life feeling hopeful? Feeling settled, feeling like Jesus has established my security so I can love others. I think of another metaphor for this as is, is a soldier clearing a room. I've got a picture of some special ops soldiers. This is just a practice routine. They're, they're clearing a room. Um, we want to live our life feeling like we are secure. Instead of feeling like we're always fighting to make things secure, right? I mean, that's one of the biggest problems when a guy comes back from battle is just chemically adjusting to, okay, I can relax, right? Because you're so used to fighting. You're so used to trying to establish security that it's hard for you to relax and, and recognize, okay, I'm safe, things, things are gonna be all right. As a Christian, the, the way that we love other people is we recognize that we're loved. We love because he first loved us. We're secure because he has secured our future and that's what sets us free to love others. I keep going back to this illustration of the prince and the pauper, um, it's it's a, you know an old fairy tale story, and then there was a Barbie movie that my girls love too, the Princess and the Popper. And what I want you to think through is, okay, put Barbie out of your mind. But what I want you to think through is, are you the pauper, right? Are you the poor one fighting to become rich, or are you the Christian definition of how we should live? You're the rich one, given everything you have away. We have all things in Christ. And I'm not talking about how much money is in your actual bank account, right? I'm talking about in Christ we have everything. And that sets us free to be okay, to live life fully, to love others. And we've, we've got to reverse. So many of us are like, I've got to achieve, I've got to get ahead, I've got to establish myself. If, if you're settled in God's love for you, if you're settled in the gospel, if you're settled in what Jesus has done for you, you're free to love others. And you're free to take the risk of, of following his commands and doing what he asks you to do. Um, and that leads us to the, to the last point. It gives us freedom towards the law. And I think this is the most radical idea in our culture. It's the most radical idea in our culture because so often in our culture, grace and freedom means law is bad, rules are bad. Matter of fact, I want to read a... So I don't really listen to this group. I borrowed someone's car, and I heard this album. So (laughs) I just had to throw that out there. I don't really listen to a lot of pop music. But this group's called MKTO. Have y'all ever heard of them? MKTO, just kind of run-of-the-mill pop, pop rap kind of singing group. All right, here's a line from their song. It's like a youth anthem, right? We're young, old people are stupid, you know, that whole thing. We. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is what it says. We are the ones, the ones you left behind. So it's basically they're talking to the the previous generation. Don't tell us how. Don't tell us how to live our lives. Ten million strong. We're breaking all the rules. Thanks for nothing, because there's nothing left to lose. Thank you for feeding us years of lies. Thank you for the wars you left us to fight. Thank you for the world you ruined overnight. But we'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be fine. We're breaking all the rules, because there's nothing left to lose. We're breaking all the rules, because there's nothing left to lose. So here's the idea is that, you know, the previous generation, they messed up the world, but we, we're not going to mess up the world. We've got it all together, right? I mean, that's basically their worldview. We're going to be just fine. And the way we're going to fix the world is by breaking all the rules and indulging ourselves. And that's going to make the world a beautiful place of flourishing, right? By breaking all the rules, by just following our hearts, then everyone's going to love each other and there's going to somehow miraculously be peace, even though we're all roving cannibals and bandits now. Somehow life is going to flourish. This radical worldview that that Paul is pointing to is we actually now have freedom towards the law. We're not keeping the law to be approved of by God. We're approved of by God because he loves us. We're now keeping the law, and and by keeping the law, I mean the morality of the law, love God and love others. We're keeping the morality of the law, kind of the 10 commandment center of the morality of the law because God loves us. Because now we actually see it makes sense. Before, we were orphans and we were unloved and we had to fight and scrap for everything we could get. Now, now we're secure because we know Jesus came for us. And we're starting to think, maybe, maybe God's worth listening to after all. Because he's shown this grace to me. Because he's shown this love for me. Because he's died for me. So back at verse 14. Verse 14 says it this way. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what Paul is saying here is really echoing what Jesus said. Jesus said the whole law is summed up in love God and love others. And here Paul is saying the whole law is fulfilled. And what he means is that center, the morality, the righteousness of the law. He's not talking about all the layers that the Judaizers are wanting to push, the cultural temporary Mosaic covenant layers, right? The temporary nation of Israel stuff. He's talking about the core the morality of the Ten Commandments. He's saying, if you love people, you're going to fulfill the Ten Commandments. You're going to live out the morality of of the big ones, of what the law is really about. And he says, it's going to start to look like something different in your life. You're going to start to live a different life, right? You're not going to be perfect. Um, It's not going to be like, you met Jesus, you know He loves you. Next day, you never sin again. That's not really how it works, right? The way it works is a process. We call that process sanctification. You're... More and more made in the image of God. You're sanctified, made holy. You're beginning to trust him more. It's really a trust issue. You're you're beginning more and more to believe that he's good and that he knows what's right and that he's worth following and that maybe your desires aren't as smart as God's word. And so I have this interesting illustration. NPR had this great uh, little story. Um, Here's a video of it. And uh, basically the gist of it is that human beings can't walk in straight lines. Did you know that? Now we can if we've been trained, right? Some of you have been trained to use a compass and to use fixed points. But if you put a bag over somebody's head, or that sounds kind of dangerous. If you blindfold someone, (laughs) if they don't have external cues, human beings cannot walk in a straight line. They've done all kinds of research and they thought, well, maybe it's because, you know, like one leg's shorter than the other, my left leg's shorter, maybe that's the issue, blah, blah. No, they've done more ancillary research and it's, no, it's just human beings can't do it without external visual cues or direction. We can't walk in a straight line. So this is a picture, this is a map of someone walking blindfolded. Looks like a giant curly cue, right? They're just walking in circles. Humans naturally walk in circles. We can't walk straight. We cannot walk straight. We need God to show us how to walk straight. So I just want that to, to sink in. We need someone from the outside directing us. That's what the word law means, Torah in Hebrew. It means direction. It means God telling you what to do. And for some of us, for for most of us, this is the way it works. And it varies by culture and it varies by personality. But we come to the Ten Commandments and we say, I'm great with eight of those, but I strongly disagree with two of them, right? Or I'm great with five of them, but I really hate five. Most Most of the time we just disagree with one or two. And what God says is, I, really, I know better. And I'm going to prove my kindness towards you and that I'm, I'm so in love with you that I'm willing to die for you to prove that this is not me just being an ogre trying to ruin your life, but I love you. So he's proven that he's trustworthy. Psalm 119 speaks to this beauty of, of loving the direction of God's law Psalm 119 verse 32 says it this way, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Again, get the order right. It's not, I will run in the path of your commandments so that I can fix my own heart. He's saying, I'll run in the path of your commandments, Lord, when you fix my heart, when you enlarge my heart. One nineteen thirty five says, Lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Do we really delight in God's commandments? Well, no, only if we're convinced he's good. Once we've been convinced he's good, then we can actually delight in what he says. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119 does not make sense if you approach it from a, I will win God over by obeying the law. It does make sense if God wins us over by his love. And then our heart is changed. And then we love to do what he says. Again, we don't do it perfectly. We begin trying. We begin living differently because we trust him. So the question is, do you you love the law in that way? Do you actually trust God's direction for your life? Or are you like most of us and you're like, all right, I'll take eight of the commandments, but not all 10. That's the question for us. John Stott had great commentary on this on Galatians. He says, although we cannot gain acceptance by keeping the law, yet... Once we have been accepted we shall keep the law out of love for him who's accepted us and has given us his spirit to enable us to keep it. So that's that's the tension there right? Grace and freedom isn't so we can keep sitting on the sideline. Grace and freedom is to set us free to to run in his path. To run his way to live the life that he's made us to live. Back at the the beginning of chapter five, Paul said it this way, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that you would set us free to run in the path of your commands. And God, you've defined that that looks like serving others and loving others. And so God, we pray that you would help us move past our suicidal obsession with self and our own desires, and that you would change our desires. God, we pray that you would supernaturally make us a people that start to desire what you desire, that love the things that you love, that are able then to step outside of ourselves and give ourselves away for others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.